principle, vaccines work by training our immune system to identify and fight a potential future infection. And the COVID vaccines are no different. One thing we're all hoping for is that the new vaccines will give us herd immunity to the virus. This would mean that, for a given population, so many people are immune to the coronavirus that it would start to die away as it can't find new hosts to infect. But how does herd immunity work in practice? And are the vaccines we have likely to put us in this fortunate position? I'm Eva Higginbotham, and I spoke with Peter English, a consultant in communicable disease control, to find out. Herd immunity arises when there aren't enough people around who are susceptible to catching the virus for the infection to be passed on to anybody. One of the most infectious diseases we know is measles. And if you have a population in which nobody is immune and everybody is behaving normally, then each individual with measles is thought to infect about 18 other people. That's the average number. R stands for reproduction number. It's the number of people that an individual will, on average, infect if they have the virus. For measles, the R number is sought to be 18 if nobody in the population is immune. If you want to stop the disease from spreading, you have to ensure that at least 17 of the 18 people that would otherwise have been infected are already immune and unable to catch it. If you can do that, then on average, each person can only infect less than one other person. So while the R number for measles is about 18, the R number for COVID-19, the earlier strains was around about three. So you'd have to have two thirds, two out of every three people, at least of the population immune to prevent it from spreading. Because if at least two of the people that it would otherwise have spread to are already immune and it can't catch it, the disease will start to die away. And that's what we mean by an effective R number of less than one. And that's when you get herd immunity. If COVID is therefore much less spreadable than measles, does that mean that we only need to vaccinate a smaller proportion of a group in order to achieve herd immunity? It does mean that, although we have to take into account two things. Measles vaccine is extremely effective at preventing infection and, and spread and transmission. So if you've been vaccinated for two doses of MMR, well over 99% chance that you will not be able to catch it and pass it on. We don't yet know how effective at preventing infection and transmission the COVID-19 vaccines are going to be. They might not be effective at all. They probably will be effective to some extent, but we don't know how much. The recent study on a rather small sample with the AstraZeneca vaccine suggested that 67% fewer of the people who've been vaccinated were found to have disease when they did swabbing to see if people had acquired the virus. So that gives us a good reason to hope that at least 67 won't be infected and then won't be able to transmit it. And it could be even better because we also know that the people who've been vaccinated, if they did get infected, had lower viral loads. The amount of virus present in their respiratory secretions was lower. So they're, they're likely to be of being less infectious than people with higher viral loads. So we might find, I'm reasonably optimistic, that the AstraZeneca vaccine will be at least 70% effective at preventing infection and transmission. But of course, that means that the number of people vaccinated has to be high enough that two thirds of them will be immune. So you'd have to vaccinate proportionately more people than the two thirds, because 30% of the people you vaccinate won't benefit from that protection. What makes a difference between the different vaccines, whether or not they're going to affect the ability to transmit the virus? We don't have a lot of what we call empirical data, i.e. we've vaccinated people, we've seen that they haven't infected people. But we do have laboratory data looking at the quality and the size of the immune response. And we know that 
it's not just antibodies that are important. Antibodies themselves, you can look at the quantity of the antibodies and the avidity and the affinity, that's the strength with which they bind to the antigen they're looking at, spike protein. So the better the quality of the binding between the antibody and the spike protein, the better the protection and the more likely it is to prevent the virus from getting into cells. But there's also what we call the cellular response, which is largely driven by what they call T cells, as opposed to the B cells that drive the antibody response. And that recruits a whole load of other parts of the immune system, which is fiendishly complicated. But it allows the immune system, for example, to recognize cells which have been infected and have the virus inside them. Antibodies can mop up virus particles outside cells. Once they get into cells, antibodies are next to useless. But once the virus is in a cell, cells like natural killer cells, killer T cells, and other parts of the immune system can destroy the cells that are manufacturing virus and kill the virus inside it, which antibodies alone can't do. We don't have a lot of evidence yet as to how effective these vaccines are in producing a T cell response, but we have seen a T cell response. So effectively, for us to hope to get to a point of herd immunity with coronavirus, we are hoping that vaccines are going to be able to induce an immune response that activates the T cells, which will allow us to prevent transmission. Yes. I'm not sure it's quite as simple as T cells equal no transmission and absence means transmission. Certainly antibodies are part of the picture, but with the good quality immune response that it looks like these vaccines are likely to induce, we've got a much better chance that we'll have prevention of transmission and therefore the possibility of herd immunity.